podcasting from Nashville Guitar Store in the heart of Music City, USA. Bringing you inspiration, education, and behind-the-scenes stories from prominent guitarists and others influential in the music profession. Sharing tales of their history, discussing guitars, their gear, their work, what's on tap for the future, and delivering wisdom we'll all appreciate. I sure wish I'd kept my first guitar. That's how it all started. It was that single guitar lick that made the song. I love playing out, but it's good to be home. Collaboration with these great writers inspires me and blows me away. Your host is Marcia Ware, nationally recognized radio personality, singer, actor, and author. Todd Woolsey is our guest for this podcast. He's worked with amazing artists here in Nashville, like Tracy Lawrence, Tanya Tucker, Colin Ray, Lori Morgan, Pam Tillis, and uh, proud to say that my understanding of the greatness of Todd Woolsey came working with Lori Morgan as Lori's backup singer. First of all, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here, Marcia. Glad glad you could join us today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, let's go back to uh, where you got your start in the great faraway land of Canada. That Blame great, it on that, Canada. That's right, that great foreign land up north. I keep thinking you're from Calgary, but you're actually a little further north. Yeah, my well, my my uh, family lives in Calgary now. Not my family, but my mother and brother. And but uh, we were raised in northern parts of Canada, northern Manitoba, northern Alberta, and uh, northern Ontario. So think. Uh, Churchill, Manitoba, the polar bear capital of the world. I don't know how many people, maybe there's somebody that might say, think Churchill can think, oh yes, but most of us are going to be like, do you see elk much up there? Elk? No, it's it's way too cold for elk. Okay, so you know, (laughs) the elk left a long time ago. Literally, (laughs) Churchill is so far north that the only trees that are in Churchill only have branches at one side of their, uh, one side of them because the north wind is so strong that they, they can't grow into the north wind. So I would imagine that a place like that, kind of desolate, not a lot of fun things to do. Is that why you turned oh, no. to music? Oh, there was lots of fun things to do. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, well, you had more freedom as a kid to like <laughs> explore, skidoo, hunt, fish. Skidoo. What is skidoo? Uh, snowmobiling. Ah, yeah. ah. Say, sorry, uh, yeah, I'm from Ohio where we know football and corn. Yeah, well, that's hopefully, <laughs> I'm sure some of your podcast listeners are from the north and that, know what I'm talking about. That's very, very cool. So, um, were you from a musical family? I know you're a PK. That's Preacher's Kid. Did anybody else in your family have a passion for music like you did? Uh, not really. My dad played acoustic guitar and led uh, worship songs or praise mm-hmm. songs, uh, but... Really not. My mom took piano lessons uh, at one point, but I would not say I came from a musical family. And I never really started taking music uh, guitar seriously at all until I was 16. Okay. Okay. So So what were you playing when you first started taking up guitar? What was... Uh, well, I I guess when I was maybe nine or ten, I did learn a few chords on the acoustic guitar. So, uh, you know, I knew a few chords up until I was 16. And then at 16, when I wanted to take it serious, it, and I'll tell you this, it's because of uh, KISS. Like, I heard KISS and I was like, Wait, I... the preacher's son was a KISS fan? That's right. Okay. And it was even, <laughs> believe it or not, it was even banned in our house. I just wanted that electric guitar sound, so electric guitar is what I started on. Okay, okay. So Ace Frehley was your inspiration. At first, at yeah, first he was. Well, I, you know what? That's probably not. 
Yes and no. Uh, by the time I was 16, um, there were other guitar players in KISS from that point on. That's but, true. That's very um, true. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I was actually surprised when I was digging into your past that your background uh, or your earliest study, formal study, was not in country. You've got this great list of folks that you've played with that are pure country, but you have a background in jazz. Yeah, I, I have a degree in jazz. Um, and I guess I went there because I didn't know what else to do at that point. I knew I was a kind of a beginner. I told you I didn't start till I was 16. I graduated high school when I was 17 and a half. You're, you know, I'd only been playing for a year and a half. And uh, I knew I needed to get better. And I thought, well, I need to go to school and take guitar. And uh, that was the only place around uh, to take guitar in a you new know, college level. And uh, so I went and uh, took three years, got a three-year degree in jazz. How was that technically to take that trip from... When did you come to Nashville? And when did you start... Well, Not, let me back up. When did you start um, delving into country music? Was it before you got to Nashville? It, oh, it was before I got to Nashville, yeah. Uh, I didn't play any country music until after college. Okay. Which is a fun story, but I'll, uh, I'll get to that in a sec. No, I went from... Uh, Loving 80s rock players and, and uh, had a little high school band that played rock and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then uh, went to college and really got into jazz. Uh, my parents never listened to country music, so I never knew anything about country music until okay. after college. As a player, you're kind of self-taught until you get to college. Then you go through formal education. Mm -hmm. Then you kind of tiptoe over into country music. Technically, as a player, jazz is so complex and uh, technical that, you know, when you get to country, how was that transition for you? It's a big transition, but I'll tell you the story. Um, after college, I was living in a house with five musicians, all jazz musicians from the college. And... I had made an oath to myself at that point that I was only going to make a living playing music. And so I, and I will say this, as soon as I got finished with college, I practiced for 12 hours a day. And people say, oh no, you couldn't have practiced for 12 hours a day. No, literally I did. And so I would get up and I would practice, take a break for lunch, practice, take a break for dinner, practice, go to sleep, repeat. In 12 hours you can get a lot done. So I had made this oath that I was going to make a living playing music. Well, I auditioned for a couple rock bands, and I just I, w I didn't get the job, and I was running out of money. I mean, at the point, I was already just eating ramen noodles. So I had had this guy from college calling me saying, hey, join my country band. And I thought, well, if this is going to be the only way I can keep my oath, I'm going to have to do it. So I called up my buddy, Jay Bittner, who is a, a big session player up in Canada, now, I mean, at the point, at the time, he was a, just graduated college with me. He was our country guru. Mm -hmm. And I said, Jay, make me a tape of top 40 countries so I can learn some of these songs and uh, be prepared for this country gig. So he's, he made me this tape. But what I didn't know was that he didn't make me a tape of top 40 country. He made me a tape of the hottest guitar playing. It, it wasn't necessarily top 40, it was just the hottest guitar playing. And so I'm listening to this stuff, and because I'm kind of naive about the whole country thing, never listened to it before, I'm just thinking, oh, every country guitar player can play all this. So it's not that hard, I'll just learn it. So literally the second song, I, the first song I learned was Please Please Baby by Dwight Yoakam, and then the second song I learned was Country Boy by Ricky Skaggs, which is really hard, but 
at the time, I didn't think it was hard, and I just learned it. So here I am, a, a month later, I'm playing with country bands, and I'm a country band, and guys are going, man, how long have you been playing country yeah. music? So anyway, I'm, I'm forever th thankful to Jay for making me that tape. Because of my stupidity, I did not realize how hard it was, and th there's a lesson to be learned in this, I know, is if you don't think it's hard, maybe it's not that hard. And practicing 12 hours a day, here I was playing country, and then from that moment on, I have played country music. I haven't done any other kind of gigs. And I love it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, that leads me to another question on the level of being prepared. You had kind of alluded to that in what you were just talking about in learning the Ricky Skaggs song and then stepping in and people thinking, well, that's what he does. And when it comes to your process of being prepared for a gig, what about somebody who doesn't have that 12 hours to practice? What would you say to encourage somebody in terms of a process of just being prepared? Wow. Uh, well, you just, to be prepared, you have to have time to put in as much time as you can. Uh, obviously, if you only have so many hours, you put in all those hours that you can. I, I tell this to my students all the time and, and different people. It's not how many years you've been playing. No, it's how many hours you've been playing that mm -hmm. matter. So put in as much time as you can. Now, when I talk about preparing for an artist gig, I'm going to assume that you're already a pretty good guitar player if you're getting called for an artist. So to prepare for that, I have a pretty regimented technique for doing that, and it's, it's pretty time-intensive. So you would need time for this. But I always tell anybody, be as prepared or as over-prepared as you can be for any gig. So for instance, a lot of times I am called in... Uh, without rehearsal. That's a, kind of a illusion I think people have of Nashville is that they think that if you get an artist gig that, oh, well, they've had a month of rehearsals and it rarely happens like that. I would say at least half of the artist gigs that I've done have been with no rehearsal and you just show up and you do the first show. And if there is a rehearsal, the most it is is one rehearsal. Here's my process. First, I get the list of tunes that are going to be in the show. Then I listen to all the originals. I learn the originals as exactly as I can. I mean, everything, the, the pick, the solos, the, the intros, even the rhythm parts, I try to get them note for note, just like the record. So that's my first phase, is learning all those songs. Exactly. Fundamentally. Fundamentally, yes. exactly. Yes. Then I listen to the live versions, and you... You listen, okay, how did the band change it from the record? And then I make my own choices. Which do I think is better? Do I think the, you know, the, the solo from the record was better than what the guy played on the live version? Or what? And then I make my choices. Uh, and then I just repeat, repeat, repeat. I get the tones as close as I can, and then I, I keep going over the songs until I have them down. Then once I have the songs down... I set up my room just like a concert stage. So I'll have my actual amps, I'll have my pedal board, I'll have my mic, and I'll, I'll have my sound system blaring, and I will crank up my amps just like I'm gonna do in a, in a setting, and I will run the show. And I'll repeat and repeat and repeat until it's time to go. So literally, even though I only had a week to learn Lori's show, I would say, the last couple of days of that week were nothing but running the show back to back to where I can get it down because unless you have it down to that level then you can't get to the second phase which is 
uh, when you're playing live, it's a show. You need to it's you need to interact. You need to uh, look at the people who are uh, taking a solo and give them your attention. To be looking at the artist all mm -hmm. the time, giving mm -hmm. them your attention. You need to be able to step forward when it's your time to shine. Yeah. The show is a living, uh, the show is a living, breathing thing. Right, and a lot. This is something that I think a lot of players don't get performing. Is that it is? This is all important. I see a lot of times you'll see a show and somebody will just stand up there and do their thing and and not interact at all. Well, that's that's you're missing a major part of what it means to be a performer. Anyway, so back to a reason why it's so important to prepare. Your guitar player at the time, Roger Eaton, called me on a Saturday and said, Hey, can you sub for me next Friday on a Laurie Morgan gig? Which, Laurie Morgan's a big deal. To be honest, I almost turned it down because I thought, that's just not as much time as I like. I like to have about two weeks to prepare for an artist gig. Um, because of one of my mottos, one of my life mottos is you can never take back a first impression. And so if I can't be 100% prepared, I don't want to give myself a bad first impression with anybody. Mm -hmm. But he talked me into it. So I show up for the Laurie Morgan gig. We drive to somewhere in Georgia, I think it was. <laughs> I could not tell you. I just remember the gig. <laughs> I know. My wife always laughs at me because cause she'll say, where are you going? I said, I don't know. I know I'm supposed to be at the bus That's at 9 o'clock and I get home on Sunday. I don't know when at, where I'm going. <laughs> That's it. That is so true. <laughs> so anyway, um, we get there and we do we do a sound check, maybe run through like intros to a couple of songs and uh, your band leader, Mark, at the time goes, okay, that's good. We do the show. So there's been no rehearsal. There's been a very short sound check. And uh, I guess your sound man thought that it was going to be the regular band and he had brought his recording set up. And for whatever reason, he decided, oh, well, even though it's a sub, I'm going to go ahead and record this thing anyway. So he records the show and they decided to make it their live record. Literally, my first show with no rehearsal was Laurie Morgan's 2010 live record. And that's a lesson on why it's important to be prepared. We're going to press the pause button right there because there is so much more with Todd Woolsey. Join us next time. Todd is going to talk gear, setup. He's got tips for aspiring artists on the importance of networking that you don't want to miss. Plus, we'll check out a single from his self-titled CD. All of that's coming up in the second half of our conversation with Todd Woolsey. For NashvilleGuitarStore.com, I'm Marcia Ware. At NashvilleGuitarStore.com, paying full price for guitars is a thing of the past. Like dial-up internet. You'll find Epiphone, Fender, Gretsch, Ibanez, Taylor, and lots more. What you won't find is the big box store prices. Get yourself a killer guitar at a fraction of the retail price at NashvilleGuitarStore.com. NashvilleGuitarStore.com. Killer guitars at a fraction of the price.
from his self-titled CD. That was Todd Woolsey and Jones Patrol. I'm Marcia Ware for NashvilleGuitarStore.com. This is part two in our conversation with guitarist Todd Woolsey. What would you say for all those uh, those uh, gear guys out there, the ones that want to talk the gear? Yeah. Um, what's your core setup? Are you the kind of guy that comes out with like myriad pedals? Are you a gearhead? What's your setup? Well, um, those who look in my music room and all the uh, 100 guitar pedals that I have and, the, and uh, different all vintage amps would say I'm a gearhead, but I'm really not. Okay. I'm really a simplistic guy who believes in a good, a good guitar into a modest pedal board that covers your main options into some good old classic amps. For me, it's usually two old deluxes. Uh, and so my typical setup is uh, a Telecaster, um, although depending on the gig, I'll have a you know I have a myriad of other guitars, but my main guitar is a Telecaster into a pedal board. My pedal board will consist usually of uh, for a country gig a compressor, uh, two or three distortion pedals um, into a volume pedal. Um, a tremolo pedal, usually it's a, a multi-effects pedal that will do trems and choruses and things like that. And um, one or two delay pedals. And uh, that's it. Into uh, my two deluxes. Do you feel like less is more? I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, a few weeks ago we were doing a fly gig. And when I do a fly gig, I bring like a small pedal board. Mm -hmm. Like it, it fits, it's smaller than a briefcase. It mm -hmm. only has a few pedals. And the drummer after the gig said, man, your tone was good. You know, it's the smallest rig that I use. Yeah. And I think there's definitely some truth to that. And I also think um, if you're a new player and you're not maybe at the pro level yet, I think it's just important to have a good guitar a modest kind of setup a pedal board at the most as big as what I described and uh, into a good amp and then spend your time honing your craft because it really is about 90% fingers and and your skill level the other 10% is the the, the equipment you got to have ma well maintained equipment and a, a, you know a, a good guitar and that but it's it really is the minority um, and then once you start getting gigs, yeah, we'll start building up your collection yeah. and, and whatnot. Because it is true, depending on the gig, you know, I might use a Les Paul or mm -hmm. a, uh, I definitely use a Strat a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, I do have 20-some guitars. And What's that sound that really just, that moves you? Do you know, I, the, the favorite sound that just moves me the most is a slightly broken up amp and a guitar straight into it. Um, maybe with a little delay. I just find it's got power and, and it's the it's the amount of distortion where if you dig in a little harder it's fairly distorted and when you play lightly it's almost clean. If you can find yeah. that level of distortion is my favorite sound. Even the most professional player is, go is going to have, whether they admit to it or not, some sort of weakness or Achilles heel, either personally or professionally. Um, what would you say yours is? My biggest weakness um, is that I'm naturally an introvert, okay. and I spend way too much time alone, uh, and I don't get out there and mingle with other musicians and network as much as I should. That's my biggest drawback. Uh, there's there's something 
very important about going out to clubs, mm -hmm. hearing other bands, mm -hmm. meeting the musicians, just hanging with them, getting to know them. Uh, and I will say that early on in my career, when I first moved to Nashville, I took that seriously. And every night was out jamming, playing, um, building up that network. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get your first jobs. Mm -hmm. Maybe I've gotten lazy now, um, because once you've had some big jobs like I've had, you seem to be able to kind of go from job to job. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's a really important, and it's something that I need to be better at, is uh, just getting out and and hanging with musicians. Well, um, before we talk about what's next for you, let's talk about what's current for you. And um, you've had a CD out, uh, self-titled. What song do you feel like people are responding to most warmly? The one that gets by far the most is a song called The Light. I called it The Light because it has a real happy, carefree, I guess, uh, stress-relieving kind of sound mm -hmm. to it. And ironically, that's what people are calling me and telling me. Um, they're, they're saying, man, whenever I feel down, I just put on that song. And that peps me up and makes me feel um, almost... I don't want to say spiritual lifting, lifting, but maybe there is some of that. We're talking about Lori Morgan. Her son, Jesse Whitley, tells me all the time that that's his favorite song, and he's got it in his car, truck, and he just listens to it all the time. That's and great. before the shows, he'll he'll come over to me and he'll say, Hey, hit me a little, Todd. Yeah. And he wants me to go, boom, boom. <laughs> well, let's take a moment and check out The Light. So now we know what you got going on, but what's coming up next for you? I'm constantly trying to to get better at the guitar. I want my ear to be better. So I've been, you know, taking some ear training courses and uh, uh, but as far as a career side of things, I'm quite happy right now working with Lori Morgan and uh, I'm band leader for her now. She's been treating me great. I would say that in the future and not looking maybe in the next uh, year or that, but I would like to do some gigs outside of country music. Mm -hmm. um, there is a guy in town that I play with named Rick Huckabee, which is a blues rock kind of thing, which I love. And I, I would like to do more of that kind of thing and maybe even branch into working for some of those kind of artists. So that's, that's a future dream of mine. I'm still waiting for Paul McCartney to call me. Well. Uh, so if Paul, if you're listening out there, have a listen to my stuff and... Uh, you know, I'm not trying to put one of your guitar players out of work or anything, but if they happen to leave. If they happen to leave, this yeah. guy's available and he's fantastic. <laughs> great. This is a great segue into our next little moment we call Take Your Pick. And my first question, which I believe you're probably going to, you've already answered. But Beatles. Beatles. <laughs> Paul McCartney. <laughs> yeah, the first question is Beatles or Stones. So we're just going to take Beatles. Okay, Beatles. Gonna, okay. Um, guitar strings. Tens or elevens? Tens. Though I will say I do have 11s when I tune down a half step. And by the way, I'll, I'll do a little plug for, well, I don't know if I can do a plug for You can do a, a plug for whomever you want. Uh, I use GHS strings and love them. So your next question is Coke or Pepsi? 
Uh, water. No, I'm sorry. The correct answer is Pepsi. Uh, 80s hair. Bring it back or leave it where it is. Although I did have 80s hair for a while, I say leave it where it was. Come on. I can see you with a jerry curl. Come I've on. skipped back to the 70s. <laughs> I had the mullet. Okay. Sure. I had the jerry curl. Uh, amps. Fender Twin or Marshall? I like them both, but I've made my living with uh, Fenders. I will say Twin's not my favorite, though. It would be a Deluxe. This is a very important question, especially, you know, being a married man. So there's a lot of married men listening out there right now, okay. so we need your honest answer on this. Leave the seat down. Well, there's that. When it comes to toilet paper, over or under? Oh, it's definitely over. Okay. Yeah. Is this a it's, bone of contention with you and the missus? It's not a bone of contention, although she did put the... She, I don't think she cares one way or the other. And I, the other day it was under, and I was like, what in the world? This is all wrong. Beer or wine? Uh, I don't drink a lot, but I do like both. I like uh, red wine on occasion, and I like a beer after a show sometimes. That's, yeah. Nice way to quench that thirst. Uh, Jeff Beck or Brian May? I like Brian May, but Jeff Beck's going to win that one out. When it comes to guitar riffs, like the opening riff of a song, what's your favorite guitar riff? You know, I've never really thought about that question before. Uh... So I'm not really sure what I would say my favorite is, but I will say that when I hear, I um, my favorite guitar player in the '80s when I first started was a Rats guitar player named Warren Demartini, and I loved the tune "Round and Round." So uh, <laughs> maybe the beginning of "Round and Round" would be my favorite. Well, I am so thankful that you have taken time. Do you have any last parting words of wisdom for our listeners out there? I always tell people that, that um, like, don't listen to people who say you don't have natural talent or anything like that, because really just hard work, like, um, love playing music and put the time in, work hard at it, you know, again, keep enjoying it, but, mm -hmm. but, um, but I just encourage you to keep at it. Uh, there's room for, there's plenty of room for great guitar players and there's plenty of room for people who work hard at it and uh, just keep at it I encourage you and and remember that saying uh, two sayings you can never take back a first impression and it's not how many years you've been playing it's how many hours excellent excellent those are great words to live by well this is Marcia Wareham for NashvilleGuitarStore.com Todd thank you so much again for coming and hanging out with me and talking with me today thank you Marcia and thank you NashvilleGuitarStore.com Dedicated to bringing you inspiration, education, and behind-the-scenes stories from prominent guitarists and others influential in the music profession. To hear more, subscribe to the Nashville Guitar Store podcast in iTunes. Go to NashvilleGuitarStore.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah.